Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. The scripture for today's sermon comes from Revelation 1.10. The word of God speaks to us. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This is God's word to us. There was uh, some murmur in the earlier service. I think I hear some now going, wow, that was a short reading for the day. And uh, the scripture readers this morning saw what the, they had the, the task in front of them. They thought, this is a short reading. Thanks be to God. Uh, so anyway, we'll make sense of that verse here in just a second. But yeah, as Andrew said, my name is Chad, and I love getting to come and uh, share Sunday with you guys. It's a privilege to open God's word with you. If you're uh, just jumping in this summer, um, here's what we're trying to do. Um, over the last several weeks, we're in this series we're calling Rhythms of Grace, and what we're doing in the series is looking at practices, habits, um, sort of foundation stones that Christians have been practicing since the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, so if we were to sort of parachute ourselves into third century Africa, into a Sunday gathering, into a Christian community, we would find them doing the things that we've talked about in this series. If we were to parachute ourselves into somewhere in Europe uh, in the Middle Ages, we would have found Christians giving themselves to Scripture, prayer, community, generosity. So this has not been a series this summer where we're looking at innovation <laughs> or life hacks or something new. We're actually practicing something ancient and going back to the things that Christians have practiced wherever they find themselves in the world and whatever time period they find themselves. And God is still forming his people even today by these practices. And so today we're going to take up um, the discipline, the habit of the Lord's Day, the, the Lord's Day. And so before I jump in with prayer to kind of lead us um, this morning as we were singing um, in the, both the earlier service and even, even again this service, while we were singing the song um, King of Kings uh, about all who come to the Father are restored, I, just, I, I was just impressed, and I just want to offer this maybe to, to guide us in prayer. Maybe some of you are here today, and you're sort of singing all the songs, maybe even that particular one, and you're going, I know this is true. I feel the vibrance of this reality. I feel the vibrance of even the music bringing these lyrics to me but I feel far from this experience. And I was worshiping this morning myself, and I just was reminded of maybe, maybe you're in the room, and in John chapter six, here's what Jesus says. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. So if you're here today and you somehow feel on the outside or you somehow feel that what we're, what we're doing is far from you, hear the word of Jesus to say, anybody who comes to me, I will in no way cast them out. So if you feel like you're on the outside, the invitation of Jesus is to come to the inside. There's nothing he's going to stiff arm you about, nothing at all. So with that, can you pray with me? You'll be okay? All right, let's do it. God, we want to bring ourselves to you in the name of Jesus and because of Jesus. And Jesus, we want to say, even as we pray and open your word, thank you that there's nothing about us that as we come to you that you'll stiff arm there's nothing about us that you'll say, get away from me, that you'll receive us, 
And so for any of those places in our life where we feel as though we're on the outside, would you help us to understand and to see your grace and those things that are causing us to feel that way? Would we just offer those to you? Would you bring clarity to those places? Would you bring clarity into those insecurities or those fears or doubts? And we ask now that as you open your word, would you bring us clarity and understanding? Would you help us this hour, we pray? We offer ourselves to you in the name of Jesus and together as the church said, amen, amen. Well, for me, um, going to church growing up, we, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday. And so going to church for me growing up was more like shock treatment and a place of judgment than something of celebration and formation. So here's what I mean. I, I have this particular memory. There were several that looked like this, but this particular memory, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, uh, I grew up in a single-parent home, and so one Saturday night, my mom went to bed trying to raise this, you know, this ragtag middle school boy uh, as best she knew how. She goes on to bed one Saturday night, and I find a way to stay up late after she'd gone to bed and watch whatever I wanted to watch on TV. And so I found myself that night watching things that I had no business watching, things that my mom did not want on her television screen. And uh, I was up late enough that I ended up just falling asleep to the things that I had been watching on TV. At some point in the night, my mom hears some stuff going on, and she gets up maybe to use the restroom or whatever it was, and she heard the TV was still on. She goes in there, and she sees on the screen exactly what I had found to watch, but I'm passed out there on the couch. And I remember hearing a voice like a trumpet, like John is talking about in the passage, uh, wake me up and just start taking me to task about the decisions that I was making, what was going on, what was on her TV screen. And then here's how that speech finished. You're going to bed, and tomorrow we're going to church and Sunday school. Bum, bum, bum. Right? Like, that was... That was church for me growing up. It was like, we're not just going to church tomorrow, young man. You need two hours. You need the service, and you need the little extracurriculars they call Sunday school, right? Shock treatment. A place of judgment, not, not formation, not, not celebration. A place that I knew I had to go when I was in trouble. And so, I, I don't know, growing up in the Bible Belt, I'm not sure you can make it out of the Bible Belt without weird experiences in church, I'm not sure you can make it out. I'm not sure that's possible. And maybe you don't have a lot of weird experiences, but maybe you have, over time, just some soft views of the church. This is just kind of what we do down here, right? But I would, I would venture to say that in this room, at some point in your life, every one of you have tried to think carefully about what the church is and why do Sundays matter. You've probably at some point had that debate, that conversation with yourself. What is the church? Why does Sunday, why, why do we do this? And some of you have taken up that thought experiment and you've rejected it. But you're here today, so on some level of rejecting it, you've also found your way back. You found your way back. Others of you, maybe you've just taken what's been handed down to you and you've accepted it. For, for you, somehow you're a part of the small minority of people that have had more positive experiences in church than negative. And so you just thought, what, what, what is people's beef with this? This is wonderful. And you just sort of, Taken and inherited what's been passed down to you. If that's you, good for you, right? We're grateful for you. There's others of you that maybe you thought to reject what's been passed down to you, but in rejecting it, you thought hard about it and tried to figure out what to do with it and didn't have any better, better solution, so then you just, in turn, ended up accepting it because you didn't have a better answer. 
But here's what I'm trying to do today in this sermon. Here's what we're trying to do uh, at this stop along the series. I want to pull back. I want to slow down. And I want to ask the question, why do we do Sundays? Why do we do Sundays? Why do Sundays matter? What, what are we doing when we gather together, and why does it matter? Maybe they ask the question more personally, why are you here? Why, why are we here? Why, why did we wake up and put on clothes that we thought acceptable for a day off and come to sing songs together? Why are we here? We know that this is nothing new. We know that this is something that Christians all over the world have been doing for generations, but where did it come from? And so this is where we pick up with the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me this loud voice that was coming like a trumpet. And so we're jumping in a bit midstream with John. We're just 10 verses into the book of Revelation, just 10 verses into this letter, and he opens the book and he identifies himself. So we're jumping in midstream, but what he's doing here, just 10 verses in, is in the first two verses, identifies who he is as the writer. He says, I'm the Apostle John. Verses three to eight, he greets his readers, and he blesses them. And then he opens up, in verse nine, what takes him the rest of the book to unpack. So he he unpacks what God has revealed to him, hence the name of the book, Revelation. This is what God revealed to me. In verse 9, he tells us where it was revealed to him. It had a particular geographic location. He says it was in the midst of persecution on this island called Patmos. And then he tells us in verse 10 when it was revealed. So the whole book is about what was revealed. He tells us where it was revealed and then when it was revealed in a particular time. He says it was on the Lord's day that it was revealed to me, what you're about to read the rest of the book. And it happened in a moment where I was caught up into communion, into fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And it came to me like this powerful voice, something like a trumpet, an interruptive force blasting from behind me. And so what's going on here? What what is John saying? Well, he's certainly talking about a personal encounter. He's even using first-person language. I was in the Spirit. It was on the Lord's day. And he's saying he was so caught up into the Spirit. This is a unique thing to him caught up in the spirit to such a degree that what comes from this encounter was an authoritative word for the church for all time, such that even now, thousands of years later, we're reading it this morning. An authoritative word for the church. He says that he heard the direct address of the resurrected Jesus himself. Can you imagine how powerful that was? Probably sounding like a trumpet, this powerful interruptive force. He's just looking for a descriptor. How do I say how this came to me and hit me? A trumpet might work. Notice verse 11. We know this is the voice of Jesus because what follows, verse 10, are red letters. The resurrected king himself is speaking. And so this is absolutely a unique moment, a personal moment for John for the sake of delivering Holy Scripture. But the reason that you and I are reading it and talking about it today is there's also something that he intended for his readers then to learn. And his readers, today, you and me, there's something here that is teaching us about the special activity of God on this particular day that John is calling the Lord's Day. And so to make some distinguishing things here, this is not what other parts of Scripture refer to as, maybe you've heard the language, day of the Lord, right? That's the end of times. That's the the moment where God brings judgment and restoration of all things, the day of the Lord. This is different than that. John calls this the Lord's Day. So this is a recurring day, a weekly day inside of time, not at the end of time, but inside of time given as a gift for God's people. 
So here's what's interesting. John's writing this letter, scholars believe, around 90 AD, right? So still within the first century. And already by that time, the primary day of worship for Christians, many of them, most of them Jewish, by 90 AD had shifted from Saturday, the Sabbath, to Sunday, the first day of the week, from Saturday, the last day of the week, to Sunday, the first day of the week. And the reason that that shift, that primary day of worship, which had been law for them, keep the Sabbath day and make sure it's holy, the reason that had shifted from Saturday to Sunday was because of the singular event that distinguishes Christianity from every other worldview. You realize there's one single event that our faith hangs on. There's one thing that happened that everything is dependent upon, and it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The thing that shifted the primary day of worship for God-fearing people in the world from Saturday to a whole different day of the week. Why upend your whole tradition? Well, because God got out of the grave, and so we do something different now. And so since very early in the church, followers of Jesus have held this day, Sunday, as special because of everything it represents. Sunday represents God's intervention with mankind. God intervenes on you and me not to judge our sins, but to show us that our sins have been judged, not on our head, but on the head of another. They've been atoned for, they've been beaten, and we've been invited. The resurrection means that all of God's promises are true and that he won't abandon us. Not even death could separate us. The resurrection means that God's ministry in the world started in a new and special way in Jesus is actually still going on to this very day and until he returns, and that's happening by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Adrian Warnock wrote a book called Raised with Christ and he describes Sundays like this. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrected Lord appeared to hundreds of men and women, transforming fearful doubters to boldly proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection. And these fearful doubters were transformed and willing to endure persecution, even die for this reality. And as a result of this proclamation, the church was born, and it grew with Sunday as the primary day of worship, calling it the Lord's Day. And the church did not, this is an amazing line, the church did not create the resurrection stories as if we could do that. The church didn't create the resurrection stories. Instead, the resurrection stories created the church. It's not that we made something up. Something is making us. Something has interrupted us. Something has intervened on us. And so God's activity is special on this day, Sunday. God's activity in the world is special on this day, because all of us are gathered together in, on a, in, a, in a way like we're not typically gathered together. God's voice comes forward in a special way through the scriptures because we're gathered together to be instructed by it. The Holy Spirit is expressly active on this day because we're gathered together under the kingship of Jesus. And do you realize the same spirit that indwells any one believer also indwells all believers in the same way, working together as we're gathered together to guide us into truth and to build us up to glorify Jesus. So this doesn't mean, track with me, this doesn't mean that God's voice can't be powerful on Tuesday. This doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit can't show up in a powerful way on your commute home on Thursday. 
course we know that's not true. Every day belongs to God. He fills all of them with his promises and presence. But think of Sunday. Think of Sunday like a birthday for a friend or a family member. You share your love with that person. You share your life with that person all through the year in meaningful ways. But then on their birthday, it just hits different. Like, hey, you get to decide where we're going to dinner tonight. Hey, hey, I actually have a gift for you. Hey, in fact, I've got a lame card for you. I looked all through, and they're all lame, but I found one that was less lame, and so it's for you, right? In my family, we actually try to do birthday blessings where everyone goes around the table and says, here's what your life means to me, right? So we share life every day of the year. We share love every day, but on your birthday, it just hits different, right? You think of a family reunion. You talk with your family, whether you want to or not, begrudgingly or willingly. You talk with them all through the year, but then when the family reunion happens, Everything just hits different, for good or for ill, amen? <laughs> it just hits different. And why does it hit different? Because we're together. Like, we're, the people are actually together. And so that's what we're talking about with regards to God's special activity on Sunday. His people are together in a way that they're typically not. And you would say, okay, I hear that, but most Sundays don't feel special to me. They don't feel special. In fact, sometimes I come to services, and they're quite unimpressive. And I'd actually say, me too. Me too. In fact, I'm quite unimpressive, regardless of what Andrew tries to say nice about me. I rarely feel caught up in the Spirit, like John says he was caught up in the Spirit. I don't experience God's Word coming forward like an interruptive force that could be described like a trumpet in my life. Fair enough. But the point isn't that that would be our experience every Lord's Day. That's not the point. That wasn't even the experience for John. This happened in a unique way for him, one particular Lord's Day, to give us an authoritative word. That wasn't even John's experience every Lord's Day. But here's what I will say. There is power. There is power every single week in the gathering, whether we feel it or not. There's power. And there's expectation and there's encounter every single week that ministers to us, even if it doesn't register to us. Here's, here's how I know that. You're here today. <laughs> Something has happened enough to get you here today. Something of an encounter or an experience happened enough, even if it didn't feel special or interruptive, it was enough to get you back here. And we know that there's power in the gathering, even if we can't feel it, because we have a year like 2020 where the gathering was removed from us. And maybe initially it felt like, oh, gosh, I have more time for brunch on Sunday. But over time, we started to feel the lack, didn't we? We, we started to miss the gathered people of God. We started to go, I don't want to go for an extended exercise anymore. I actually don't want to have that extended brunch. I actually want to sing with people. I actually want to hear a prayer or two. And so it might have seemed like a break at first, but we felt the lack. Maybe there's a critical person here saying, I hear what you're saying, but it looks like John experienced all this by himself. I mean, do I really need the church? Do I really need to gather with people? John had all this experience of revelation, and he was by himself. Do I need the church gathered to have meaningful life with God? It's true that he was alone, but what's interesting is his solitary confinement was punishment, not ideal, <laughs> right? Rome was punishing him for being a Christian, and they said, here's what we'll do. We'll take you away from your people. It wasn't his preference. It was less than ideal. And it's also fascinating that what God reveals to John wasn't for him. 
it was for the church. If you go on and read what happens following verse 11, it was letters to the churches. And so everything about the encounter in God's activity leads back to the gathered church on the Lord's day. So, I, so I've kind of given you a bunch of stuff here, but here's what I'm trying to do. I'm laying a foundation. Where do Sundays come from? Why Sundays? Well, because of the resurrection of Jesus, and God is moving uniquely on a day when his people gather to recognize his intervention in the world. But here's what I want to do. Here's where I want to land the sermon today. I want to move through four things. It's not just how we gather on Sunday. It's what's happening why does all this matter? Like, what's happening in the room? There's something that we all experience, and I want to try to show biblically, theologically, what's happening when we gather on Sundays. Here's the first. The Sundays, the Lord's Day, is about new creation. It's about new creation. So it's hard to overstate. In fact, I don't think we can make a big deal enough of the resurrection of Jesus. It's hard to overstate how significant that is. By God raising Jesus from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week, instead of Saturday, the last day of the week, even the timing of God's work and the resurrection is a sign to us of new beginnings. Something new is happening the first day of the week, or as the Bible calls it, new creation. And so the old created order, think of it with all of its fracture and decay because of sin, is being made new. The resurrection, the first day of the week, means death doesn't get the end. Sin doesn't get the last word. Suffering like miscarriage or estrangement or heartache, the resurrection means it won't be this way forever. God is doing something. Estrangement from important relationships, heartache because of sorrow, the burden of miscarriage or worse. Hey, it's not going to be this way forever. Jesus gets the last word, and he's bringing something new, new creation. How do I know this? Because his tomb is empty. His tomb is empty. And so what does that mean for Sundays? It means this, that just as our Lord is bringing forward renewal and healing, we're his people, and so we're a part of that. We're new creation. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice what it says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What's fascinating about this verse is it's readable in English by saying he's a new creation. The literal translation from Greek says, if anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. Meaning we are a part of the new sign that God is bringing into the world. The fact that there would be redeemed, forgiven, God-fearing people is evidence along with the resurrection, God has intervened. The love of God is being made known across all kinds of people who wouldn't otherwise know it. We are new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so the reason that we worship on Sunday, the reason that we worship the first day of the week is we're saying, I want every bit of what Jesus is bringing into the world to shape every bit of me. I want every bit of what God has done on Sunday, that first Lord's Day, to shape every bit of me. We worship on the first day of the week because we want the renewing presence of God not just to shape this day, but as it shapes the first day of my new week, I want it to shape every day that comes after it between. And the last thing I want to say about the Lord's Day being new creation is Sundays are a reminder for us. So like, I don't know how your week was this week. Maybe it was good. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you followed God closely this week. 
Maybe you fell on your face. I don't know how your week was, but here's what's going on with Sundays. No matter how your week has been, do you realize the tomb of Jesus is still empty? No matter how, no matter how your week went, it could have been a colossal fail. The tomb of Jesus is still empty. It's still empty. It doesn't sort of get filled again based on your performance. It's still empty, which means every Sunday is a reminder that the presence of God and his renewing work in the world is still available to you and that whatever happened last week, it doesn't have to define next week. Sundays are a reminder of new creation, new beginnings, like a fresh start. The tomb is still empty. The second thing that Sundays are about is identity. Hey, track with me on this one. Lean in with me for a second. How often are you made to feel that who you are is who your boss thinks you are? How often are you made to feel that your worth is what your company says it is? How often are you made to feel that who you are is what your bank account says you are? Who you are is what your kids say you are or how they feel about you. How often are you made to feel that who you are is what you feel about yourself and what you say about you? How often are you made to feel that who you are at the core is what you've done in the past and you can't change it? How often do we live the way that we live and talk the way that we talk and make the decisions that we make all in an effort to convince other people that we're something that they should want or desire? Don't think of me in that certain way. Look, I'm going to talk this way or make decisions this way or live this way so that you'll think of me what I want you to think of me. How often do we live the way that we live because we're afraid and insecure that the worst might just be true? And we're trying to convince ourselves, if not others, that it's not. How often do you make the decisions you make because you're confused about who you are? You see, I'm trying to get down there and help us to see the Lord's Day. Here's what's happening. The Lord's Day is about identity. It's this regular occurrence every week. It's a gift to you because it's not dictated by you. However you feel about you, the tomb is still empty, you see? The tomb is still empty. So this is all about what God has done. So it's a gift to you because it's a weekly reminder of who you are. Sundays are a weekly reminder of who you are, what's most true about you, and that you can be sure about what God says because it's true and solid because the tomb is empty. That means his verdict is the highest. He gets the final say. Maybe to say it a different way, the Lord's Day for the Christian is a weekly Father's Day. Who am I? Whose am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? How do I make sense of right now? So your boss doesn't get the last say. Your bank account isn't a lord. Not even your kids, not even your own feelings or your past is powerful enough to get the highest verdict because none of those things can get out of the dead. None of those things can resurrect. Only Jesus can. And so you are, you are who your father says you are. That's who you are. Whatever your feelings say, what other people do, however they think, 
does not get the highest verdict. You are who your father says you are. You are how he feels about you. There's a bloody cross and there's an empty tomb that speaks a better word for you and me. And it's a word that you and I have to hear again and again and again every week because we're prone to forget no matter how long we've been around the message. So the Lord's Day is about identity. It's about new creation. The third thing, the Lord's Day is about rehearsal. It's about rehearsal. So we're new creation people, which means we've been given a new story. So you don't live by your old storyline anymore. Your temptations tell you that you still have to, but you don't live by that anymore. The whole point of being a Christian is that God has collided with me. God has interrupted me. God has come like a trumpet from behind me. He's done something. He's changed my personal story. His story is now shaping my story. Do you realize that when you become a Christian, when you say, Jesus, you are Lord, you check yourself into rehab. The whole Christian life is rehab. Rehab is not just for impatient people who need to break addictions. Rehab is for everyday people who say, I need Jesus as a king. Because when you name Jesus as your Lord, you're being retrained, you're being rehabbed from old habits, old patterns, and you're being trained to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. You're learning a new way to live under Jesus. And no matter how long you've been around, you're never gonna become a professional at it this side of heaven. As though any of us are like, I'm a pro at walking with God, right? This is rehab. And so what you and I need is rehearsal. We need practice, and we need more practice, and that's what the Lord's Day is. Think about this with me. The way we design our service, we call it liturgy, the flow of service. Each week, here's what happens. It'll be on the screen. Each week, we get a call to worship. So no matter how hard you've stumbled this week, no matter what your week has been, in the call to worship, you're reminded that God, lowly as you are, invites you to come to him. It's a call to worship. The next thing we do is we sing. The truth of God and his works in the world give us songs. They give us new songs. They give us songs when we don't have songs. They give us songs when we don't want to sing. We sing. These are our battle hymns together. The next thing we do is we confess. This is a crazy thing that we do. We turn from our tendency back to our old story, and we look to God and we confess, I'm wrong. Here's how weird that is. We gather together to tell God collectively we're wrong. If you're here and you're not a Christian and you hate Christians because you think we're hypocrites, we are. And we're outing ourselves every single Sunday we get together. We just out ourselves. I fail my God and I fail my brothers and sisters around me. But then, (laughs) assurance. We remember that our hypocrisy, our confession, isn't the end of the story that his work and his word have something else to say. And then we have intercession. We pray. We're rehearsing. All this is practice. Intercession is crying out for more of God's work in the world. And what we're rehearsing with prayer is there's a lot of chaos. And God, I need to rehearse trusting you with the chaos instead of my opinions. That's what prayer is. And then we listen. God's word is unfolded to us for instruction, encouragement, comfort, correction, and we rehearse God's word because here's the deal. This is way more important than anything any of us have to say. You realize if we ended our service with singing, 
You're like, I love the worship. If we ended our service with singing, we ended too early. That was all of what we had to say. <laughs> the gathering is not close to being done until God has spoken. And so we, we rehearse, we listen to God's word. And then we take communion. You realize you don't bring yourself to this table. You can't clean yourself up to this table. You can't confess enough sins to get clean enough to get to this table. The whole point of this table is that you're dirty and someone else has to get you there. And so we, re- we rehearse together. We have no business near God, but he brings us. And so we get to practice table manners with each other. We forgive one another just as God's forgiven us, and we learn to eat a meal with our king and our brothers and sisters. And do you realize that this meal, it actually is a rehearsal dinner? This is just, the reason it's small, just a little bit of bread and a little bit of cup, is it's an appetizer. It's not the feast. That's the wedding supper of the lamb. When saints throughout the ages are gathered around and we have a big piece of bread and a big cup and we clank our glasses and we go, how marvelous is his love for us. This is rehearsal. And then we have a benediction. (laughs) We're actually blessed by God and empowered by him to go live as missionaries in the world. Like what we do on the Lord's Day, we couldn't, we couldn't make any of this up in a thousand lifetimes if we tried. We couldn't design a service this beautiful. This is all the gift that's been given to us to help us practice life as new creation, life as people redeemed. And the last thing is this, the Lord's day is warfare. I want you to look at a verse with me, Ephesians 3, verse 10. He says that through the church, so the gathered people of God, through the gathered people of God, notice what he says, the manifold wisdom of God, meaning the multi-layered, how did God do it kind of wisdom, that looks crazy, but somehow God makes sense of it, God makes it work. So through the church, the wisdom of God is on display to who? It's made known to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. What is this verse saying? It's saying that when the church gathers together, there is a sign to the demonic forces, we belong to Jesus and your time is short. There's a sign. So when we gather together, called to worship, singing, confessing, being assured, intercessing, listening to God's word. When we gather together to take communion and then be blessed back into the world, there is a sign, yes, we are accusable, but there's a bloody cross and an empty tomb that says something different about us, and we belong to Jesus, and Satan, your time is short. That's what's happening on Sundays. Only God, only God can get a ragtag group of people together like us and not be guilty by his association with such fools. Instead, he's glorified by his association with us because only God could get such a ragtag group together and call them blessed children of the king. Only God. And so this is about warfare. You you realize what we're doing even right now, Satan hates this preaching. Our gathering together makes the enemy cringe because he knows that his influence and his hold on the world is being stripped. With every prayer you pray, with every song you sing, with every feeble confession that you make, weak, I don't have a lot of faith today. I barely have any faith today. I'm not sure I have faith today. With every listening to the word, with every taking of communion, with every blessing given, Satan is reminded his influence and his hold are being stripped. 
the Lord's day. So do you see this? This is not, what we're doing is not like the creation of a culture. You know what we should do? We should come up with a Lord, we should give him a day, and we should design a service. Like a religious think tank can't create this. Like the only God can do, this is the design of God meant for our formation. The purpose of the Lord's day is to get us home. It's to get us home. So Sundays, they're not random. It's not like, I don't know, let's pick a day. The day he rose from the dead, it was picked for us. It's not random. Sundays can't be outsourced. They can't be digitized like it's so popular. Let's do Sundays on a screen. No. You see, just like the Lord was raised physically, just like Jesus was raised bodily and then appeared face-to-face to to many people after his resurrection, so you and I meet face-to-face together so that our faith would be formed until it becomes sight. That's what we're doing. The whole point is that every Lord's Day would get you to the great day, right? So that's the book of Hebrews. He says, don't forsake the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage one another as you see the great day approaching. So every little Lord's Day is like sustenance to get you to the great day. All of this is pointed to something else. Every Lord's Day in our time, it might feel unimpressive. (laughs) It might feel like, ah, it wasn't special this week. In fact, the preaching was just sort of so-so, and we talk about it over lunch. Fine, fine. But every Lord's Day is just enough to get you to the great day. You see, on the great day, new creation On the great day, new creation won't be a sign for us that we practice. It will be our reality. Every tear will be wiped away. Every injustice is brought to right. On the great day, identity won't be confused anymore. You won't wonder who you are or where you came from or where you're going. On the great day, it will be fully known. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know how I got here by the blood of the lamb, and I know that I'll be here forever, never to exit. You see, on the great day, there'll be nothing left to rehearse anymore. (laughs) We don't have to practice anymore. We just have to enjoy it on the great day. There's no more rehearsal at the communion table. There's just feasting there. And then on the great day, war is no longer needed. There's no more war on the great day because the war's done. The enemy that was defeated is now finally destroyed. The final victory belongs to our God and we're safely carried into the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. So do you see, church, like the Lord's Day is not an accident. Like there's, there's a reason why when you miss a Sunday, you're like, I feel like I haven't been at church in a month because it means that much. And it was just one week that you missed. Like there's something we're practicing here New creation, identity, rehearsal, warfare. This is a big deal. And so Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit, and it was on the Lord's day. And I heard from behind me this loud voice, this interruptive force, like a trumpet. This is the word of God to us. Father, um, Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for Sundays. 
Thank you for an empty tomb. Hey, King Jesus, thank you that you get the final say over us. That even if we feel like we're on the outside, anyone who comes to you will never be cast out. We can only get a truth like that on the Lord's day. And so, God, we want to just say, with, with what you want to accomplish in us every week when we get together, would it actually not just form us this one day, but would it form us the six between? We want to be the Lord's people. Thank you for the sacredness of the Lord's day. We give you all of our days. And we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus.